Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast, episode 57 for the 17th of Shvat in a leap year. And today we're going to be learning the entirety of chapter 22. Before we begin, I'd like to ask you guys a question. Do you like paying taxes? <laughs> so it's a little bit of a trick question or a rhetorical question. I would assume that most of you would answer no, right? <laughs> I don't like paying taxes. It's a very bad feeling at the end of the year when I have to calculate all my taxes and my earnings and see how much I have to give away to the government, right? Especially because, you know, nowadays, especially when everything's become so heated politically and everything, I'm sure every single one of you has an opinion about the government and about <laughs> what's going on in the world and if your taxes are going to the right place, if they're not going to the right place, right? So hopefully if you're a law-abiding citizen, you give your taxes. And hopefully, you know, if you're living in a, in a while we all have criti- critiques against the government, if we're living in the United States or Israel or, you know, in some country where it is pretty much a free place. (laughs) Even if we don't love paying taxes, at least we're not living in a total dictatorship and, uh, and we do have our freedoms somewhat. So while we may not enjoy giving taxes, if we, if you are a law abiding citizen, you probably do. And you probably give it begrudgingly. And you know that while it's not something that you love doing, and while you may not agree with everything that the government does with your money, there are certain things that the government does and that the government uses the taxes for that you probably realize are essential, even if it's not something that you personally benefit from or that you even really necessarily like, but you know is a necessity. So this analogy of giving, of paying taxes, well, it may not be perfect, but it's something which came to mind when I was studying the chapter of, the, of today of the Tanya that we're going to be learning which discusses the idea of the different ways that God gives to the world, that God gives his light, his influence to the world. And while there are some things that God gives to the world in a way that is like very loving and in a face-to-face kind of way, uh, so this is like, you know, to Jewish people or to holy objects and things like that, there are a lot of other things in the world that God gives to you but in a more backhanded way, in a more like kind of begrudgingly way, similar in my mind anyways, to how we give taxes, where he decided that this is something he has to do. And for whatever reason, there's a reason for these things, but it's not something that he enjoys. And it's not something that is done in a face-to-face manner. It's more in like a backhanded way, a backhanded gift, like sort of like if you owe somebody money, 
or you have to give somebody a present, but you really don't want to. So you don't face them. You kind of just say like, okay, you can pick it up, you know, in the other room and you don't look at them while you're giving them that gift. And what we'll learn about in today's Tanya is what encompasses those things which God gives to you in this way are actually anything that has an ego in the sense that it thinks of itself as being a creature apart from God. So this doesn't mean things that don't believe in God. It means that anything that, you know, there could be a lot of things that believe in God, a lot of people, you know, or a lot of entities that do have a, have a sense that God exists, but they also have this illusion that they themselves also have their own independent existence apart from God. And this is a theme that comes up a lot in Chassidus, and we'll talk about it today, and we'll also talk about it in the future, where the true reality is not that there's God and then there's other things. It's that there is nothing apart from God and there is nothing that has an independent existence other than God. And any semblance that we have of having our own existence is actually just our own perception and it's a false perception. And what we'll learn today is that in order to have God influence us in a way that is in a more face-to-face kind of way, there must be the... Ex- the it, there must be this sense of nullification before him and subservience to him because holiness can only reside in a place that makes space for him. And we've talked about this previously, you know, the idea of how you can't fill up a a teacup. If it has tea in it already, it needs to be an empty cup. So it's a similar idea. So there's a lot to get into and it is a full chapter that we're learning today. So let's get straight into the text and hopefully we can break it down. So, we were talking, if you remember, so the altar is going to continue with what we've been talking about so far about this idea of God creating the wor- world through speech and about how everything in the world is really at its like essential existence is really nothing but the speech of God. We also talked about how God's speech is different than man's speech because while with man's speech, even though our speech is totally and utterly dependent upon us. Nevertheless, it's two separate things. There's me and then there's the words that I speak and the, you know, and and you can separate the two versus with God, you can't do that. And with God, his speech and him are really linked and intertwined. And there, there isn't an existence of his speech without him at all. So, then, it, then the question that the Alter Rebbe brings up here is he says, so if that's the case, that there's such a difference between God's speech and man's speech, why do we use the term speech? Why is it that uh, this term is used in Torah? And he says that this is because Torah spoke in a way that humans can understand. And so thus, and not only that, But when we talk about God's speech, there is something there that is very much, it is actually speech, the way that we can understand it. Because what is speech, if you really think about it? Speech is the descent and the influence of vitality to whatever it is that's below it. So, you know, if you think about the speech of man, when a person speaks, what am I doing right now? I'm revealing what's going on on the inside. I'm I'm influencing, I'm taking... I'm descending my thoughts down into the external world. And so God, God's speech is similar in the sense that when he wants to descend and shower forth his vitality to the lower worlds, he does this through speech. And specifically, what does it mean through speech? It's that he does this through many, many, many constrictions, all kinds of different constrictions. 
And through these many constrictions, this creates many different types of creation, all kinds of different creatures. And these constrictions and these concealments are so great that it could even create things that are against God, like things that are impure and klipos. Remember, if you talk about the, if we, we spoke about the husks and the sitra achra, you know, the other side, like things that are totally against God. So the amount of concealments and constrictions that God uses in his descent of his life force into the world are so great that it could even create things that are totally against God. And so that what this means is that even these things that are totally against God, these things that are totally impure, these klipos, these sutra achram, they they too receive their vitality and their existence from the word of God, from the spirit of his mouth in a way of hestel panim, it's called from like a concealment of the face and from a descent of levels. And this is why they are called Elohim Acherim. So if you've ever studied a little bit in uh, Torah, a lot of times, you know, when we talk about different things that are impure, or especially if we're talking about like different uh, idols, like different deities that, that different nations worship and things like that, or really when we talk about idolatry in general, the term often used for it is it's called Elohim Acherim, which means other gods. So if we want to look into the et- etymological basis for this, the word acherim, it's, it means other, but it also comes from the word achor, which means back. And we'll see that this is something very essential because the way that these entities, these things that are against God, the way they, the way they suckle and where they get their, their vitality from is not in a way of face-to-face, but rather from a way of the back, from the backside of Kedusha. And the way that we can understand this with man, with this, this type of backhanded thing with man, is that if you're giving to somebody that you hate, if a person is given to somebody, something to somebody that they hate and in a way that they don't really like, you know, I gave the example of taxes, for example, or this could really apply anytime. If you have to give something to someone you hate, what do you do? You throw it back up behind your shoulder and you don't look at him because you hate him. You hate this person, Right. So this is how it works above, that when God gives to people in a way of panim, panim is face, but again, this dual meaning in Hebrew, so the word panim, it means face, but it also comes from the root of panimut, the inner, the inside. So again, panim is face, and it also means inner, achor is other, and it also means backwards. So panim is the panimus of the ratzon ha'elion, so it's the inner supernal well, and his true yearning, and his true well, that God really wants. So when God gives to things in this more face-to-face kind of way, it means that he's giving to, to people or to things in a way that he it's he's giving this vitality to anything that's close to him, that comes from the side of holiness. But when it comes to the other side, from the side of the sitra achra and impurity, which is what God hates, then he only gives them, he still gives them life, but he does not give it to them from this inner place of his will and his true desire. But but rather, he gives it to them in this more like backhanded way. So just like, as we said before, like somebody throwing something behind their shoulder to the person that they hate. And so why does God do this? This is actually, the point of this is actually to punish the Rashaim in order to give the good reward to the tzaddikim. So meaning to say that, you know, God 
needs to punish the wicked people. So, and there, you know, there's further discussion as to what this means exactly, how that all works elsewhere. But uh, in short, basically, so God is giving to the Rishayim, but in this more like backhanded way. And it's also in his giving to the Rishayim, giving to the wicked people, this affects the righteous people too, because it's giving the righteous people the opportunity to serve him with free will. Because when, if, if the world were so simple that we would just see that if you do God's will, you get life. If you don't do God's will, you die. There wouldn't be much free will. So God sets it up that he still does keep wicked people alive so that it's a little bit more complex and so that it is more, it's, it's, it, it, it does require a little bit more will on the part of people who want to choose to do God's will. And this will allow people who are righteous to be rewarded for their efforts in that case. And so, again, this, this backhanded giving that God gives is called that he's giving to them in, a, in an aspect of ahoraim. Ahoraim is, again, it's a Hasidic term that comes up quite often, which means ahoraim, ahor, it means back from the, from the backside. And this is in contrast to the aspect of panim, which, again, means face or front, the front side, which the front side is, this is the source of the life force and the vitality of all the worlds. And this this front side, this source, does not at all rest in the Sitra Akhra. And not only that, the Altarba says, that even this aspect of Ahoraim, this aspect of the backside, the other side, still d actually does not even become vested in them. So it's, it's so even this backside isn't doesn't become vested in them, but rather what happens is that it becomes like hovering around them. It's in a way of makif, it's called like hovering. And it hovers above them from above. And this is why the altar of says, like, since that this vitality, even the backside of God's vitality, since it does not even become vested within them in an internal way and it just hovers above them, this is why these places, these places of impurity and anything that's against God's will, are actually called the place of death and of the impurity of God. And God should help us from to save us from this because the little bit of light and vitality that they suckle from and that they get within them is in a way of the Ahoraim of Kedusha, the, the backside of Kedusha, which above, what is this manifest as above? This is in a way of Galus, of exile. And this is the secret of the Galus of the Shekhinah, which, you know, it's talked about elsewhere. And so this is, again, this is why it's called Elohim Acherim, other gods. Because other gods, what is other gods? Other gods is idolatry. It's a vodazara. It's actual vodazara. And it's a, it's, it's a kfira, it's a heresy against the oneness of God. Because the light and vitality of Kedusha is in a way of galus within it. Because it's not at all nullified to the holiness of God. And actually, by contrast, it's actually lifting itself up like an eagle to say, I am something i am something in my own right and it's just like you know we we said with uh with pharaoh he had this like he would he would publicize this delusion the pharaoh in egypt that he created the nile river and so here the ultra cites the gemara in sota 4b for support for his argument where he says that this is why it says there in sota that gasuta roach this is could be thought of as pride or arrogance is equal to idolatry it's actual idolatry because why? Because what's the root and source of idolatry? Is anything that thinks of itself as being its own thing that is against the holiness of God. So this does not mean 
that it means that you deny God's existence entirely. So, you know, somebody might think, what's the definition of idolatry? Idolatry is you say, I don't believe in God, you know, or God doesn't exist or something like that. It's saying here, no, it's not that. It's, it's, you could believe that God exists, but it's that they believe that they also have their own existence of their own right. And then here the altar brings another citation from the Gemara in Menachot, page 110a, where it says, that they called him the God of gods. So in that citation, it's the Gemara is referring to idolaters who believed in God and they very much, you know, were very sure in God's existence, but they just said God is one of many gods. So they thought of themselves so they they believed in God but they also thought of themselves as being something apart from him and in doing so what they're doing basically is they're separating themselves from the holiness of God because they are not totally nullified to him and as we mentioned previously the supernal holiness cannot reside cannot rest on anything unless it is totally nullified to him as we explained before and this is why the Zohar uses this term for the Klipos, which it's, this is in the Zohar, the first part of the Zohar on page 158a, which says, Ture de Fuda, which in Aramaic means the peaks of separation. So this idea of the Klipos, what is Klipos exactly? Is that they think of themselves as being separate from God. So it's not that they don't believe that God exists. They believe God exists, but they think they are something separate from God. And believing that there there is something separate that, from God, that you exist as a separate entity other than God, this is a total kfira. This is a total heresy against his oneness, his true unity. Because in comparison to, to God, Everything is as if not and nothing and is totally and truly nullified to him and to his will, which is giving them vitality. And God is the one who actually brings them into existence, some, nothing from something at all times. So that is the end of the chapter. So just again, a little recap here is we're talking about this idea of how everything in the world regardless of what it is in our world and all the worlds everywhere, you know, it's vitality and existence comes exclusively and only from God. However, some things God gives to you in a more front to front kind of manner that are, that's coming from more of his like internal kind of like essence um, and his like inner will. And he really enjoys the giving process and other things God gives to you in a more backhanded manner, the way that like we might be, giving to our enemies if like we didn't really want to give but we had to give a present maybe the way we pay taxes as I mentioned in the beginning and then the ultra bit elaborates upon this further is what things fall into the category of the things that God gives to you in a front-to-front manner versus those things he gives to you in a back to backhanded manner and he says that the things that he gives to you in a front-to-front manner are those things that are really nullified to him because God and his holiness can only reside in a place that makes space for him that's has is this nullified nullification for him versus those things which fall into the category of impurity and the category of really idolatry are not what one might think like things that deny God's existence but it's just merely things that think that they have their own existence in their own right so these could be things that or people who you know believe in God and acknowledge God's existence but yet they have a sense that they exist in their own right as well apart from God so 
even having that thought that you exist as something independent from God or that anything exists independent from God is total and total heresy and it's total idolatry. And in that kind of place, there's no room. If, if there's a consciousness of that, there's no room for God or holiness to reside. And thus, you know, yes, God will still give this thing or this person vitality in existence because it, everything exists by virtue of God's existence and by God's uh, beneficence of uh, of light and and vitality. But he, but this would be the case of God giving to them in a more backhanded way. So I hope that was clear. And tomorrow we are going to move on and get into chapter twenty three. I'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.